This show is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, the Justice League of board game podcasts. Find out more at Dicetower.com. Welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 322. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. As always, we are the Family Gamers. I'm your host, Andrew, and I am joined by my lovely and wonderful and sick wife, and Anita sick one, wife. <laughs> That's me. It's been a, a rough week in the Family Gamers household. No snap review this week because it just wasn't going to happen. And we're going to try to help Anitra along this week, I think. I, I feel like I already talked too much, but uh, maybe we're going to attempt to save Anitra's voice. <sighs> anyway, Anitra, I have a fact. And remember last week I prompted you for some words during our fact. And yes. it sparked like a really good conversation in the Family Gamers chat, which is a thing that you can find in the Family Gamers community. Yeah, we had a whole conversation about 321 contact. So this week, of course, it's not 321, it is 322. So my question for you is, what do Skull and Bones, Ancient German Secret Societies, the Georgia Guidestones, and the Healthcare Bill have in common? What? I was with you at least through the first two, like Skull and Bones, Ancient German Secret Societies, yeah. like those I can see going together, but yeah. the, the healthcare bill? All right. The answer is March 22nd. Okay. The Georgia Guidestones were christened on March 22nd, 1980. The first commandment on the stones was a pledge to keep the world's population under 500,000 people. That didn't work. Ha! <laughs> March 22nd, 2010... Universal time is also the day that healthcare finally passed in the United States. I don't know how you, whatever. Anyway. The Affordable Care Act? Yeah, probably. Is that, man, was that really 12 years ago? Okay. Yeah, it really was. I guess so. 322, or March 22nd, is also the sacred number to Skull and Bones, the secret society from Yale that produces the leaders of the United States and the world. When Tim Russert asked President George W. Bush what the Skull and Bones special number 322 signified, Bush replied that this was a secret. John Kerry, who ran against Bush in 2004, is also a member of this ultra-secret society. He also refused to tell us what the number 322 means to Skull and Bones. Skull and Bones is a German secret organization that successfully transferred itself across the Atlantic Ocean in the early 1800s. When you back-engineer the secret societies from which the German version of Skull and Bones emerged, one finds a strange fascination with Mars. March is the only month of the year that is named after a specific planet in the solar system. Mm. It is also the first day of spring. Yep, uh, March 22nd, sure. As well as the first day in the zodiac, zodiacal, zodiacal, I don't know, sign of Aries, which is the Greek word for? Mars. Mars. Right. And that is where March gets its name. The number 322 is vitally important to these secret societies, especially Skull and Bones, which has the number enshrined in their tomb at Yale. That's weird, man. Yeah. And there's a bunch of other stuff, but I think that was enough. So anyway, as always, weird stuff for our fact, episode uh, 322. That was kind of weird. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But interesting. All right. You have a fact from our sponsor. With the holidays coming up fast, this is a time of year that a lot of people get themselves into financial trouble that they dig out of with the start of the next year or the hope of a year-end bonus. Here are some gift-giving strategies to keep from reaching a Griswold level of stress this year. <laughs> First, a lot of families transition at some point away from giving gifts to everyone, Two, somehow reducing either the number of gifts everyone's responsible for bringing or the value of the gifts. One idea is to draw names this year for Secret Santa gifts next year. 
then each person will receive one big gift from someone else in the family. Another idea is to stop giving gifts to the adults in the extended family and focus solely on gifts to the children in the family. Our family is doing something kind of like that. Mm -hmm. Yet another is to do a white elephant gift exchange or an ornament gift exchange or even a holiday treat exchange. Many families will combine a few of these ideas, like having the adults do a secret Santa while the kids receive one large gift from someone and small stocking suffers for the rest of the family. The most important part is to talk with your family and, if necessary, set up healthy boundaries so that you can create and maintain a holiday budget. If you want to talk through other ideas to take some of the stress out of the holidays for next year, set up a time to talk to First Move by going to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers. All right. Thanks so much to the team at First Move Financial. All right. At this point in the show, it is time to talk about some games that we've been playing. Let's talk about those games. All right. Do you want me to start? Sure. Okay. First game I'm going to talk about is a game called Quarto. This is a game from Gigamic. This is a abstract game. Like the first game of this kind of series, I guess, that we played was Corridor. Right? We had that for a while. Yeah. Quarto might actually be an older game. It might be. It might be. I really liked this game. This is a really interesting, like, I don't want to say tic-tac-toe style game, but it kind of is a tic-tac-toe style game. It, it is a four in a row game, but the twist is that all the pieces are shared. Well, there's like three twists in this, right? So all the pieces are shared, number one. Number two, they could create a line based on height, based on shape, or based on the attribute of them having a hole in them. Or on color. Or on color, right. So there's four. Uh, there's four, four different ways. Sense. Four different ways that these shapes could have enough in common, you know, to create a four in a row. And then the third thing that's kind of weird about this is that not only are the pieces shared, but when you take your turn, you then select the piece that the other player is going to have to put down next. Yeah, it becomes a really interesting strategy uh, about halfway through the game of very carefully whittling down the pieces and making partial lines so that at some point your opponent will have to give you a piece that you can use to finish a line. I mean, that's the premise. Like, yeah. that's what you're that's what you're shooting for. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's really cool. And I really like how quickly the strategy tightens up uh, in this game because there's a lot of games out there where either it's immediately strategic from the second you put something down and, you know, like food chain magnate, like the second turn in that game, you know, if you're going to win or lose that game. You know what I mean? It's like you feel like you're playing out the string the whole time. Yeah. Quarto is nice because it's a good 10 to 15 minute game tops. But, you know, at the beginning, you're really just kind of. I mean, maybe there's some strategy involved, but mostly you're filling the board up. Yeah, you're just kind of shaping later rounds. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not doing a lot right right away. And so halfway through the game, all of a sudden it really tightens up and you're like, oh, I can't use that piece. And I can't put that piece over there. But maybe I can block this by putting this piece over there. But maybe if I do that, then it's going to open up this other thing. And all of a sudden the strategy gets real tight. I like that. Yeah, it kind of makes me think a little bit of uh, Lani Ikea, which is a game that we got out of Essen yeah. and we played a ton of for a couple of weeks. And it's really, it's a nice abstract game where at the beginning it's kind of open, but then as things move on, you're like, ooh, I have to be really careful about my next couple of moves or else everything could fall apart. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. I really like it. It's a good play a game over a cup of coffee style game. It's a good date game, you know, for example. Yes, I agree. Yeah. So that's Corto. I also played some more Star Trek Super Skill Pinball with you. Yeah. 
we played the lower decks uh, yeah version. the one that i like flipped out on the show i when i was editing the show last week i yes. laughed at my own reaction yes. to when you said there was a lower decks board and we sure enough got it out and played it that board is wacky it definitely is um in the meantime i have also played finally the intro board the starfleet academy which is fine it's an intro mm-hmm. if you've never played the super skill pinball i mean that's good before. though like i feel like yes. given that there's four boards in the box you know having one of those kind of makes a lot of sense yes did you play the board one did you ever play the board one i have not played the okay, board so we'll do that yet. one next i mean this <laughs> this lower decks board so one of the things you mentioned is you try to kind of flip the gravity of the board so to speak and that was a really interesting mechanic that you know <sighs> i mean you have to be really really careful about the way you plan yeah. in order to get the gravity to turn back and forth at the right times. The other thing, I think it really just breaks the board, is the whole promotion thing. So there's a series of, I think it's three sets of bumpers or promotion. Yeah, so yeah it's three, three sets, sets of, of three. And when you get all three of them, you double your score. No matter what your score is, you double yeah. it. And I got them three times. Yeah. You, you really <laughs> broke the game I, with I that. I did break the game. I ended up with, I think it was like, 570 points or something no you ended up like over a thousand i think. no i don't think so i don't think so i put my score in hold on everybody let's check oh look anitra's right hey i ended up with 1061 points and anitra had 430 yeah so yeah i did yeah anyway so that whole promotion like that breaks the game but I digress. But it makes it fun. Oh, it's a ton of fun. It's ridiculous. The game is absolutely ridiculous. I love it a lot. You know, we really liked the first Super Skull Pinball when we got it, but there just wasn't something about the IP that would like kind of hold us to it. Like they were just generic boards. And I mean, I know it's stupid, but just having like pictures of Boimler and Rutherford and Tendi and I just, I don't know. It's just fun. It definitely makes it more fun. And you need that because Super Skill Pinball is not a short game. If you really get into it and make good choices, it's going to take you about an hour. Yeah, that's how long our game took. Yeah. So you really do want enough of a hook there to make you want to keep playing. Mm -hmm. And I will say Lower Decks... It's really, like, not a family show. Like, not for kids. Let me put you like this. You could watch, like, Next Generation with your children. Like, kids. Right? Yes. You could probably watch Voyager with your kids. Deep Space Nine gets a little heavy. It's not inappropriate. It's just heavy. But, like, Discovery... That's not a yeah, kid show, no. right? But if you would watch Discovery with your kids because your kids are older, then you will have no problem with Lower Decks. Yeah, the main issue in Lower Decks is some language that we'd rather not yeah, have our children just, be seeing. It, it's just, I mean, it would it's fine on TV language, but it's just crude. That's all. It's, so, it's TV 14. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it is what it is. Yeah. But it's hilarious. It is. It, we have <laughs> and really it feels it. like a Star Trek show, which is very important. Yes. But anyway, so that's... That's my brief aside on Lower Decks. Let's keep going. What else have we played? I've been playing some Splitter, which is a really, really simple uh, roll and write from Pandasaurus. Mm -hmm. Um, We are sending it on to our staff writer, Nick, who I think is also going to love it. I don't think I've seen another roll and write that is this simple and straightforward since we first played Quingo. And it really, really shocked me. When I first got it, I read through the rules twice because I was like, no, really? that That's it? That's all there is to it? Yep. Much like we talked about with Quarto, it is a highly strategic game, but it doesn't need a lot of rules to make it strategic. Mm-hmm. So in Splitter, you roll two dice and you have to write those two values in in a symmetrical way on your little player sheet. So they're the same distance away from the center line. 
and on the same row. That's the core of the game. Your, well, that's the core mechanics of the game. That's the core mechanics. It's not really your, how you score, though. Right. Your goal is to score well, and you score each number in groups. So if you can make a group of six sixes, exactly six sixes, that group is worth six points. If it is seven or five sixes, that group scores nothing. You know, five five scores you five points, four four scores you four, and single ones that are not in a group with other ones score you one point each. And so you've got this really interesting task of how do I make these groups and get them exactly the right size without knowing what you're going to roll in the future. Well, the other thing about that that's really interesting is sixes might not be the way to get the most points. Like, I mean, it's not even like a push your luck to try to get sixes thing because like two sets of three is also six points. Yep. And, it's you know, it's much easier to get threes and you could put them in different places and these other things. But technically, since you would need a space to separate them, that's at least seven squares instead right. of six. Like, you know what I mean? Right. But the risk is so much lower to do it with threes. So it's a really interesting kind of dynamic to figure out what, like, what's the computationally perfect way to score the highest number of points, right? Because it's not sixes and fives. Right. Well, and you really have no idea what you're going to be rolling and you have to use every number every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I played one or two games where I got a bunch of ones and I'm kind of spacing them out all over the board. I'm like, well, at least I'll get some points from these. And then, you know, one of my last rolls of the game, I get more ones and I'm like, oh, now I have to connect all of these yeah, ones and, and I then, get nothing. Yeah, that's that's rough. Yeah. Even three sets of two is also six points, right? Exactly. But you can fit those and cram them in anywhere. Yeah. So. I don't know, really interesting game, really, really simple game. So that is Splitter. I played that as well. I didn't even put it on my list. Next one is a very silly game. Very silly. <laughs> we had some friends over, and they are not huge gamers, but they're willing to sit around the table and play a game. So we sat around the table to play the Root Beer Float Challenge before we discovered that it's not really a table game. It's, it's really, well, some of the parts of it are on the table. I guess. The Root Beer Float Challenge, I think, would best be described as sort of a series of minute-to-win-it challenges. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and all of them use different objects from the Root Beer Float. So you've got this ping-pong ball-like thing that represents the ice cream. You've got straws. You've got little plastic cherries. And you've got the can that the game comes in that is supposed to represent the root beer. Mm-hmm. So over the course of this game, you roll a die, each player will roll a die, and it will tell them either it's a solo challenge or a cooperative challenge or a competitive challenge. And these challenges are anything from take two straws and balance a ping pong ball on it and walk 10 paces or something like that, or like compete with someone and try to roll a cherry closest to the root beer can or stand 10 paces away from someone and throw a cherry over your back and the other person has to catch it in the can or some, you know, kinds of things like that. All kinds of stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's all sorts of mostly dexterity challenges. And the reward for that is whatever is on the card. So there might be straw or there might be ice cream or there might be cherry or there might be a combination of different icons and the goal of the game is to get all of the different elements to make up a root beer float and whoever gets the elements first wins so the icons on each challenge card correspond to the elements that you're going to use in the challenge Mm -hmm. and then if you win the challenge you get to pick one of those things and get a little placeholder card for i now have the root beer or whatever So that is the Root Beer Float Challenge. I mean, it's a fun little game. This one, at least, is not holiday-themed. So (laughs) 
<laughs> so it might be something that we throw on a shelf and, and take out when we've got a party or maybe, you know, if we're hosting youth group or something and we just need to get a bunch of people together to play a game, something silly like that. Also, um, since this came right before I got sick, I appreciate that although there are straws in the game, none of the challenges we saw involved like blowing a thing across the floor or sure. putting your mouth on anything. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's worth noting. I mean, at least none of the challenges we ran into. Right. <laughs> so that is the root beer float challenge. We also pulled out Boop, which you should have heard about last week on the show with my interview with Kurt. Mm-hmm. In my defense, if people have been listening, they should have heard about it all the way back when I came back from Gamma. I mean, that too. <laughs> Boop is a lot of fun. It's very cute. Yes, and you destroyed me at Boop. It was not pretty. In the game of Boop, you have the box, and then there's a quilt that comes inside the box that you put on top of the box. And the quilt is sewn, like it's literally a fabric quilt. It is literally quilted. And instead of having a hash printed board on it, it actually is sewn so that all the little, I don't know what they call those things, like puff things are all the squares. It's literally quilted. Yeah. Oh yeah, I guess it's quilted is the, <laughs> is the appropriate term for that. So you start with kittens and you have what, six kittens? That sound right? Nine? Eight. Eight? Eight, Eight I don't kittens. Know. Anyway, and your goal is to get three of them in a row. And when you get three of them in a row, you take them off and you get three cats instead. And the goal of the game is to get three cats in a row. But kittens do some obnoxious things when they get near each other. So every time a kitten jumps on the bed, it boops away any kittens who were next to it. And any time a cat jumps on the bed, it boops away both kittens and cats that are next to its spot. So the way this works mechanically is you place a kitten or cat on on a square on the board, and anything that is orthogonally or diagonally adjacent to it gets pushed away one square in that direction, unless there's something, you know, behind Stopping it. Stopping it, yeah. That means that things might get pushed off the board, which, you know, we all know it's cats fun. do. And so it's not like you can just line up, you know, your cats. You're going to have to kind of trick them into getting into a row before you can kind of pull them off and then put the cats on instead. So it's a really interesting strategic game. It says on the box from the makers of Shobu for kind of an obvious reason. It does have a lot of that same kind of abstract feel to it, but it's very cute. It's much cuter than Shobu. But oh, it, for sure. I mean, Shobu is rocks yes. and wood and Yes, rope. I know. But it has some of that same feeling of needing to look several moves ahead. Mm-hmm. All right, the last game we played is a game called Featherlight. Featherlight is a really interesting game. I actually really like this game a lot. It's a very thinky game. It is. So, first of all, can we talk about the bird on the cover? The bird on the cover looks dumb. Uh, yeah. But to be fair, they said it's a Putu bird, and if you Google images of the Putu bird, the Putu bird looks like some kind of cartoon character with, like, big, bulging, surprised-looking eyes. Isn't that what the uh, flying guy says in episode one? Oh, it sounds like one of those things, <laughs> maybe. or maybe that's Fuju, or whatever. Anyway, Featherlight. So, bird on the front notwithstanding, this game is absolutely beautiful. This is a game where there are six cards arrayed, kind of like the Walmart symbol, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's the nest on the table. <laughs> as, as a nest on the table. At the beginning of the game, you start with, I think, five cards in your hand. Mm -hmm. Every turn, you draw a card and discard a card. And the way this game works is all of the different feathers, there's... I don't know, the Roy G. Biv plus there's, black and white, like I guess. There's like eight-ish different colors. Every different color has a different type of scoring. So like white feathers are, it's just worth some number of victory points. I think yellow are, you get a certain number of victory points if there are no 
of some color in the nest or something uh, to that. Yellow, effect. I think you're looking for specific sets. Oh, maybe yellow is the different sets. But and then like purple is basically set collection. So you get four for the purple card in your hand, plus two extra for every other purple card in your hand, slash in the nest. Yeah, and like black cards are you're either looking for even number of black cards between your hand and the nest or an odd number of black cards between yeah, your but hand. But you and get the idea. But the interesting thing about this is that both players can play into the nest or draw from the nest or draw from the cards. There's two decks kind of on two the table. Two draw piles, yeah. So you can either draw a card at the beginning of your turn from one of the face down draw decks or from the nest, and then you have to discard a card from your now hand of six into the nest somewhere. And the really interesting thing about this is that you share the nest with your opponent. With all the other players, yeah. With all of the other players, and we only played this at two. And it's really hard when a lot of your scoring kind of conditions are dependent on the status of the nest. So it's really thinky in the sense that you're trying to kind of maximize what you've got, but you also have to take the nest into consideration, and so you're trying to arrange the nest in a certain way without giving away the way that you're trying to arrange the nest. Yeah. So it's really, really neat because when we played, like my scoring plans changed dramatically from the beginning of the game to the end because you can't control everything. You can control a lot of it and you definitely can insulate yourself if you really want to, but the game is very much a, you know, high risk, high reward kind of a game, which is not my favorite because it means luck's involved but i mean it's just kind of the way the game works right so you kind of balance yeah. those two things out and uh yeah that is featherlight i really really enjoyed it yeah i'm looking forward to playing it more mm -hmm. i mean i'm almost a little nervous to play this game at a larger player count <laughs> because it will be so chaotic in the middle of the table but i certainly like it at two it is a really nice date game at two i think at more players you'll see that the nest kind of crystallizes around certain sets of goals um, and if you keep trying to pursue something outside of that, the rest of the players will shoot you down. Yeah, but I don't think there's enough cards that have consistent enough goals that you can really do that across a wider array of players. Maybe. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, we'll report back on that for sure. And I think that's pretty much it. That's really all we've been playing. Well, before we take a quick break, let's welcome the new members to our Family Gamers community. Yeah, we should do that. Uh, I will get us started. Welcome to the community, Jacqueline Atkins. Welcome to James. Welcome to Catherine. Welcome to Frederick. Welcome to Sherry. Welcome to Andrea. Welcome to Galen. Hi, Galen. <laughs> welcome to Tara. Welcome to Jenna. And welcome to Candace. We're so glad that you've joined the community. I hope that you are getting some good advice in there. There is one of those um, those community chats going, which is really awesome. I'm really enjoying that we have that feature. A long time ago, somebody had kind of asked, why didn't we open a yeah. Discord? And it was just, it was too many things. So this is a nice middle ground, you know, that gives people the opportunity to kind of weigh in. We've been talking a lot about games that people have been buying for their loved ones for Christmas, and that's been really fun as well. It's just been really great. So you should head over there, thefamilygamers.com forward slash community, if you haven't joined. And if you have, please head over to the post. It's in the show notes. Or you can just head to the community and say hello. Hello. I found a Santa Claus saying hi. Ho, ho, ho. Hi, hi, hi. All right. I don't remember at this point if we have actually mentioned the show topic this week of our individual top five small games. So these are not micro games. These could not necessarily fit in your pocket, but they could fit in a fanny pack or a purse. <laughs> fanny pack. What? I, uh, you're not wrong. Okay. <laughs> some of them are micro games, but yeah, we'll, some are. We'll come back and talk about that in just a minute. All right, we'll be right back. Mm -hmm. 
And we're back. Mm-hmm. Uh, according to Andrew, we're going to talk about games that fit in a fanny pack. I mean, come on. <laughs> Whatever that thing. I mean, what's the thing for a guy? Is it like a laptop satchel? Like, you have purses. We don't have mercies. Like, what's I, the thing? I don't know, man. No guy wants MRSA. I mean, I don't know what to say. About half of these games will genuinely fit in your pocket, especially if you're a man and you have man pockets. I mean, okay, cargo pockets. Now, okay, there we go. So you have purses, we have cargo pants. Yes. I'm fine with that. I mean, I don't think I own any cargo pants. I do own cargo shorts. Yeah. We're not going to get into that discussion this time. (laughs) That's a whole different thing. All right, so we are going to talk about our individual top five small games. Now, these aren't ranked, so I'm not going like five to one or anything like that. We usually don't rank these things. We just kind of list five that we like. And uh, I think we both actually stuck to five this time. Yes, we each stuck to five, so it's actually a top ten. Although there was some negotiating and horse trading about who was allowed to say what, I will admit. Yes. But anyway, all right, so uh, Anitra, would you like to go first? Would you like to talk about a game first? Sure. I will start with the game that I feel like I showed about 20 different people when I was at PAX Unplugged. My favorite solo game I keep coming back to is Sprawlopolis. Mm-hmm. Works well solo or cooperatively. You can pass a hand of cards back and forth. Yep, you and I have played this game together. Yeah. Sprawlopolis is a nice tile-laying game with variable puzzles. Basically, I mean, it's a card-laying game, but it's functionally a tile-laying game. Yeah, so there's 18 cards, and you're going to lay them out to make the best town, city, burg uh, <laughs> that you can. But the thing is that although some objectives are going to be the same every time, you want to make a large park and a large industrial area and a large residential area, a large commercial area, and you want to limit how many roads you have, there are other objectives that will change from game to game. Of the 18 cards, you start by flipping over three, which give you additional ways to score points and sometimes additional ways to lose points. But also the numbers on those three cards added up give you the score that you need to beat to count yourself as having won this game. I mean, it's a super smart way. I mean, you always see this with button shy games, right? Because they're trying to fit, you know, complex game mechanics into nine or 18 or whatever cards. And they always have to find ways to do multiple things with the cards. And I love that about this game. But these variable objectives really give the game Sprawlopolis staying power, at least in my sure. opinion. Of course. Uh, and it makes it more interesting than a game where you're just trying to beat your high score all the Mm. time. Yeah. So it's almost like the, I don't know, the programmably generated dungeons of a card game, board game kind of thing, I guess. Um, (laughs) yeah. Uh, Randomly generated dungeons, is that what they're called? Yeah. So if this sounds interesting to you, there are actually three variations on this theme now from Button Shy. There is Sprawlopolis, the original and my favorite. There is Agropolis, in which you are building a farm town, and there is Naturopolis, in which I guess you're building some kind of forest with paths or something. I don't know. (laughs) All of these can also be combined, at which point you are not really looking at a micro game anymore, but it's still a small game. Mm. Yeah, Sprawlopolis is good. There's a reason why it's one of Button Jai's best-selling games. My first game is a game called Palm Island. This is a game from Portal Dragon Games. We talked about this a long time ago. We'll link to our review in the show notes for this episode. Palm Island is a game where I think the full version that you get actually comes with basically two sets. So you can kind of play against your opponent who is just a friend of yours. But the way the game works is you are 
flipping through the cards. You almost think like in solitaire, how you're only allowed to go through the deck a certain number of times, right? So right. you're kind of flipping through these cards, but as you do so, you can elect to turn cards or rotate cards to, you know, spend them as resources or upgrade other cards, things like that. And then at the end of this thing, you kind of have a way to tabulate your final score. But the cool thing is this whole thing happens literally in your hand. So like if you are the kid in the back of the car on a long trip, and you don't have a flat surface, and there's no real way, and nobody wants to play a game with you, this is the kind of thing that you can actually play. You don't need a tray or something like that to play this game. Yeah, I played a lot of this uh, back when our boys did Little League, because I could sit in the bleachers and, you know, look down for a minute or two, play the game, look up, and be like, oh, hey, you're hitting the ball, great. <laughs> well, I mean, let's be honest, when, you know, your kid's team is on offense, there's really a very small amount of time that you actually care about what's going on. Let's I be mean, honest. we care about the other kids. But... Let's be honest, when it's t-ball, mostly the kids are just running around like maniacs anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, so that is Palm Island from Portal Dragon. It's about 20 bucks. You can still get it. They have like a like a waterproof version where the cards are made of plastic, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it is really um, cool. Yeah, there's a few different options for this game in terms of the way that you, you know, pick it up and buy it and stuff. So that is Palm Island. My next game is another basically solo game. I promise they aren't all solo games, but this one is. Also might be the largest of the games that we're going to talk about, which is not very large. It's called A Gentle Rain, published by Mondo, and it is a square box, a rectangular prism, if you will. It would not fit very well in your pocket unless, again, you have cargo shorts. However, A Gentle Rain is this really calm tile-laying game. The styling of it is a lot like Lanterns, the Harvest Festival, and that you're putting these tiles down. You're matching up colored flowers, uh, one half on each tile. And the goal of the game is to match up sets of flowers so that you have four tiles coming together and making a, a corner. When you do that, you can then put a flower token in that matches one of the four flowers that touches it. And the goal of the game is to put out all eight flower tokens before you run out of tiles. Everything about this game is just chill and calm and honestly, I should play it more often because it's a great game for me when everybody around me is just doing things that overstimulate me, like two different video games going on and playing music and all this other stuff. If I sit down with A Gentle Rain, I can just focus on the flowers and block everything else out. Even the rules intend for it to be a really calm experience to the point where they kind of say like, hey, here's the goal of the game, but if you didn't do it, that's okay. We hope you enjoyed the experience. Better luck next time, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, when we first heard about this game, Ryan and Aaron Gutowski had kind of talked about it and said that they even used it in like kind of a therapy context for people that just really needed to chill and, and to just kind of get away and have that moment to themselves. And, you know, that's really kind of what the name of the game sort of captures. And I don't know. I got to admit, I was a little skeptical about that. You know, it probably wouldn't work for me, I, I guess. I, I don't know. But I'm glad it works for you. I'm glad it's a thing that you can do that kind of allows you to take a step back and do something that is a little bit, you know, cognitively stimulating, but without being this sensory overload. Without being stressful. Yeah. 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 So that's awesome. Uh, the next one that I put down is a little bit of a cheat because it's six games in one, <laughs> and it is the Holiday Hijink series from Grand Gamers Guild. So yeah, there are now six of these, which is kind of mind-blowing to me. These are 18-card escape room games. They're about $12, $10 a piece, something to that effect, if you want the print plays are even cheaper. 
there are, yeah, six of them. The Kringle Caper, The Pumpkin Problem, The Independence Incident, and then The Cupid Crisis, The Birthday Burglary, and the latest one is The Groundhog Gambit. The Groundhog Gambit is twice as long as any of the other ones, so it's a killer deal at $11. These games are just super fun. You can play them with just about anyone. Yes, it's true you can only play them one time, but there are six of them, and if each one takes you an hour, that's seven hours of content now, with the last one taking twice as long. So... There's a lot in there. You do need a phone or a computer or something to play, to answer to put questions in and, and yeah. get directions on what to do next. But they're tremendous value. I think you can get both bundles for 30 bucks a piece. So you're looking at $60 for all of that content. That's a ton. These games are fantastic. They will fit in your pocket. You can play them solo or with a bunch of people. It really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I will say that if I played them alone, I probably wouldn't have solved them all. So, <laughs> And I will say that... I think probably four to five people is the max, just because this is standard size playing cards. The text is not large. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So the Holiday Hijinks series is my second pick. Okay. My third pick is not a solo game, not (laughs) a going from gentle to aggressive (laughs) uh, and not a card game. It's also not as small as it used to be, but that's okay. It's still a small box game. And that is Deep Sea Adventure. Mm hmm. So this is for up to six players, as we call it, the game of drowning your friends. But really, your goal is to get the highest value treasure that you can and make it back to the submarine without running out of air. I love that you can create the board from all of these little treasure token pieces Mm -hmm. so you can make it be as compact or as large as you want it to be. Like when we're playing with six players, we spread it out so that everybody can see and reach. But if we're playing it on some little pub table, we'll just make like a little looping S kind of shape to represent our or like a spiral or whatever. Yeah. You know, anything that we can do to make it fit on the table. Deep Sea Adventure has been a favorite of the Family Gamers for a long, long time. And Oink Games has re-released it in a larger box, but nothing else has really changed. And the larger box is still not a large box. It's just not a tiny box like it used to be in. Yeah, I mean, this game is super fun. You know, we like to present it to our friends because the mechanics are so simple and we always tell them that they're going to die and they always say, no, we're not, and then they do. And then they die. Yeah. It's funny. The thing I really like about this game, the thing I think is really interesting about this game is this concept of the shared resource. And I was kind of thinking about this earlier and the way the shared resource work, it's almost like in Lords of Waterdeep with the corruption mechanic, although it's kind of the opposite. So in Lords of Waterdeep, if you take corruption to do something more powerful, it really doesn't matter if a lot of other people aren't doing it. Taking a little bit of corruption for a little bit of negative impact at the end of the game isn't a big deal. If a lot of people do it, then it's a problem, right? So you don't want to be doing the same thing as everybody else in Lords of Waterdeep. You either want to be taking corruption when nobody is, or if a lot of people are taking it, you don't want any of it because it's got a a much more profound negative impact if a lot of people are corrupt. The contrary is true for Deep Sea Adventure. Because in Deep Sea Adventure, you pretty much want to be swimming around everybody else because when you move, you hop over people for free. Yeah, you generally want to stay close to the crowd so that you can move as far as possible on your move. Yeah, and so the way the movement of the crowd works is similar to the way the corruption mechanic kind of works in terms of the way that it goes back and forth. But I don't know, I just... It's kind of an interesting analysis of gaming habits or something to that effect. I don't really know how to describe it, but I just thought it was kind of an interesting parallel between the two games. I just love the idea of the shared oxygen tank. 
Mm-hmm. I, I envision it as like one giant hose that's reaching down towards the ocean floor yeah, and yeah, we're yeah. all branching off it. Mm-hmm. Because early on it incentivizes you to be stingy and wait. But once people start using oxygen because they're taking treasure, then you're incentivized to grab treasure quick and get back to the sub. Because once that oxygen starts going down, it's probably not going to stop. Yeah, it goes down very, very quickly. Way faster than anybody ever expects. Yeah. So that is Deep Sea Adventure. The third game on my list is a little game called Mr. Jack Pocket. Ooh. Yeah. So Mr. Jack is a really great detective killer hunt search kind of game where one of you plays as the group of detectives and the other one plays as Jack the Ripper trying to escape after committing some crimes. It's a fairly large board. The board's probably actually bigger than it needs to be. So there's all these tokens that go on the board. It's not very portable at all. Mr. Jack Pocket, they took the concept of this whole hunting the killer down thing and really shrunk it down. So in Mr. Jack Pocket, it's a series of tiles and the tiles kind of show sections of roadway it'll be like a t intersection or a corner or some straight paths and stuff like that and so the way the game works you're playing with the orientation of the tiles and then you know whether or not you can see from outside like see through to see where jack is based on where you put your tokens on the outside of the board jack has to report whether or not they can be seen and then you have to perform your whole arrest mechanic after that this game is super small and it's super interesting as a two-player game with these shifting tiles because it feels so much like the original game but it's so much smaller and so much easier to move around and they really change the mechanics a lot while keeping the feel the same it's weird that way but i like it honestly i like mr jack pocket better than mr jack just because there's a lot of maintenance involved in mr jack Mm mm-hmm flipping stuff over and flipping it back over and remembering how many things you've flipped and what you can do next. And a lot of that is removed in the pocket version. Yeah. The other thing is that Mr. Jack feels a lot like some of those other games, like a Fury of Dracula or a Letters from Whitechapel kind of a game. They're very similar, even Scotland Yard, right? Mr. Jack pocket feels totally different because the mechanics are totally different. And that's something that I really like about it. So that's my third one, Mr. Jack. So I mentioned that Deep Sea Adventure can play up to six players. I'm going to go even more with my next one. Even more. Even more players. How about 12 players? Mm, That's a lot of people. That's a lot of players. That's more people than we had at our house for Thanksgiving. I know. (laughs) My fourth game is Get the MacGuffin. So this has large tarot-sized cards, but there's only about 30-ish of them, maybe 35. I don't know. Is Uh, that the base game, or is that with all the expansions that we've shoved in it? Base game. Okay. And... It's just, it is silly and fast-paced, and did I mention silly? (laughs) And there's a goal, but there's a lot, a lot, a lot of randomness in this game. And that's okay, as long as you approach it with that knowledge. It feels like all of the things I really enjoy about Flux, and it makes sense because it comes from the same makers as Flux from Looney Labs, but it keeps the game moving along because you are always shedding cards. And the game ends when nobody has anything left they can play, except for the person who has the MacGuffin. Mm -hmm. This game, for me, has always struck that, like, naked gun, Leslie Nielsen kind of (laughs) feeling to me. I don't really know why it does. It's some kind of, like, silly spy thriller kind of thing. Like a a Pink Panther. Yeah, or or Inspector Gadget. Johnny English. Yeah, one of those kinds of games. 
it really, I don't know, it just feels that way, right? There's obviously some kind of spy-like thing going on. That's kind of the feeling of the cards and the artwork. You're trying to keep the MacGuffin, which is something, inside of a briefcase. I, it just has that feeling to it. You're stealing it back and forth. Yeah. But in the meantime, you're also doing things like you play a card that's, you know, you just have to wave at everybody or everyone must address you as your majesty for the <laughs> rest of the game. Oh, it's so good. It's just so good. And it's small. It, it is small. I mean, yeah. they're tarot-sized cards, but there's not that many of them. Mm-hmm. We reviewed that one, wow, like three and a half <laughs> years ago now. It is one that we've really enjoyed with our family, and I think it's a great restaurant game because the whole thing plays in about 10 minutes. Yep. Good stuff. All right, the next one is a game that we've talked about a lot. This is one of our favorites. It is Similo. This is definitely like in the Family Gamers top 10 games of all time, I think. Yeah, probably. I mean, at this point, you know, there are, I don't know, like 10 different versions of Similo. We started off with Similo History and Similo Fables. These are games where you play out a series of cards. It's nine or 12 cards. I don't even remember anymore. And the clue giver picks one of them that they want everybody else to guess. And they're going to use other cards from the deck to play them out and essentially indicate the card that I want you to pick is like or is not like this card. And that's pretty much the entire game. There's some small additional mechanics that you kind of learn as you go along. So I just really love how flexible this game is because those clues, it is like this or it is not like this. First of all, there's no talking really involved, right? Like the clue giver can't really do anything to kind of be like, oh, I'm talking about the yeah. words here or I whatever. I mean, the team of guessers can yeah, talk. Yeah, yeah, they can talk all they want to. But in terms of the conveyance of the clues, there's no talking yeah. involved. And the way those similarities or differences can be categorized is like literally whatever you want. And it's it's nuts. Yeah, so when we've played this with kids who aren't really reading yet or don't have a lot of the background knowledge, usually the clues end up being based on like male or female, color of the background, which way they're looking. Mm -hmm. And those kind of clues work just fine. Yeah, they really do. And (laughs) it's funny because when we play with the similar myths, which is one that we got a little bit later, (laughs) our 11-year-old, who is a Greek like history nut, will play a card and be like, but dad, these two people have the same grandfather. It's like, okay, dude, whatever. You know what I mean? It's crazy. It's so funny. But it's an interesting way to get people talking. It's a really good way to use as like an icebreaker just to get people kind of working together. And there's so many different ones. There's animals and spookies. There's a Harry Potter one now. There's a bunch of options. Similar is just a really great game you could play with literally anybody. That's true. That one showed up on our holiday gift list in the stocking stuffers. I I mean, I feel like it's going to be on the list for a long time. Again, top 10 of all time (laughs) uh, as of now. All right. What's your last game, Anitra? So my last one is another button shy game. I did try to limit it. Only two out of the five are button shy. (laughs) These small games sponsored by. But this is button shy's other bestseller. And it's really clear why once you play it. Tussie Mussy is a I split you choose game for two, three or four players. But the splitting and choosing is only ever happening between two players at a time. And the real key to it is that only the player making the offer, the player making the split, as it were, knows what's on both cards. This game really gives you an opportunity to kind of get in the mind of your opponent, look at what they've got on the table, if anything. And you offer one card face up and one card face down and try to game them into taking the card that you want them to take and leaving you the card that you want. I also love that this is a very unusual theme, that it's not just flowers, but it's literally 
making a little Victorian style bouquet using the language of flowers that can mean all kinds of things. And that adds a little flavor to the game if you say the text on the card when you make the offer. <laughs> I want to kill you or whatever. Some of them are really dark. <laughs> Not quite that dark. But I mean, they're pretty, you know, they're nice. And it's it's a, another one of these really nice games that are very simple and you can play at a dinner table or at a restaurant or something to that effect. I really love how simple it is to get started with this game. Although it is one where you need to examine every card pretty closely because each and every card is different and has different text and different powers and different mm-hmm. ways it earns points. Yeah. And there actually was an expansion for this game as well. So there have been several expansions. Um, yeah. There is also a solo expansion, which I have tried a few times. It's fine. I would rather play Tussie Mussie with somebody else, but I will play Tussie <laughs> Mussie solo if, okay. if need be. Cool. All right. Well, my last game is a game that we actually haven't played in a while. This is a game that uh, is made by a company that a lot of you have probably heard of. So the game Anomia is extremely popular these days, and and it should be. It's an excellent game. But, you know, I don't know which one came out first, whether it was the first Anomia or whether it was this game, which is called Duple. Duple is a game that, I don't know, for me, it feels a little bit more academic than Anomia. I'm not really sure why. Basically, it's Anomia mechanics, but with letters. So the way Anomia works, everybody has a card face up in front of them. Then, you know, the next person in turn will take a card from the top of the deck and put it face up in front of them as well. When two symbols match in Anomia, each person is supposed to name something that fits the category or description or whatever it is on the other person's card. Right. In Duple, you have a category and you need to say a word before the other person that you match with that has both letters in it. Sometimes these get really, really hard and (laughs) everybody just stares at the cards for a while. I'm wondering if maybe that's why it hasn't been quite as popular as the rest of the Anomia series. It is definitely our favorite though. Yeah, I mean... (sighs) I think there's some really interesting things going on with Anomia in general, like Anomia Kids, which actually probably also would qualify as a pocket game, Yes, is a really, really good kind of language independent game. But getting back to Duple, this game really was super popular for us because when our kids were a bit younger and we could actually like put them to bed. I miss putting kids to bed before I went to bed. (laughs) Yeah, but um, we used to put the kids to bed and then, you know, we'd have some friends over and we'd play a bunch of board games. And then at two o'clock in the morning, we're like, all right, it's time to be done. One more game and it's always a game of duple. Yeah. So maybe some of that sitting there staring at each other was because it was like one in the morning. I mean, some of it, yeah. <laughs> but this game is so good. I had it signed by Andrew Innes, who is the creator of, of both Duple and Anomia, when I bought it. And then I actually brought it back to Unplugged a few years later to have him sign it again. So I actually have his autograph on the cover twice. It's an excellent game. Like I said, it's a little bit more academic. At least I feel like it is because you're really trying to scour your memory for, I mean, just vocabulary. Really? Yeah, it's it's less about knowing categories of things and more about coming up with words. Yeah. So that is the end of my list, Duple, at number five. So I'm going to go through mine, and then any of you can go through yours. So I have Palm Island, the Holiday Hijink series from Grand Gamers Guild, Mr. Jack Pocket, Similo, and Duple. And my top five are Sprawlopolis, A Gentle Rain, Deep Sea Adventure, Get the MacGuffin, and Tussie Mussy. All right, so there you have it. Ten games that really all would qualify as stocking suffers in this last week before Christmas if you're looking for one more extra thing to pick up. They're all smaller. They're all on the cheaper end because they're smaller. 
Mm-hmm. And um, some of them you should be able to find in your friendly local game store. All right. Speaking of picking things up, you have the opportunity to pick up four things if you go to thefamilygamers.com because we are giving away four games. We are. So on the Family Gamers website, you can see there are four giveaways. There's one post with all four of the giveaways in it. We are giving away a copy of Fife. We are giving away the Quest Kids with the expansion. We are giving away a copy of Aldabas. And we are giving away a copy of Turtle Splash. These are all great games. And if any of them sound interesting to you, I highly urge you to enter Mm-hmm. As of recording time, none of these giveaways have more than 40 entries. Wow. That's crazy. I know, right? Yeah, so you so have everybody a very should good enter. chance of winning. Yes, the averages are in your favor. I mean, you know, comparatively speaking. It's better than the lottery. So head over to thefamilygamers.com and enter those giveaways. By the way, if you'd like to talk to us online, as many people do, and we appreciate it very much, there's lots of different ways that you can do that. You can find us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Family Gamers AA. You can join our Facebook community. Search for the Family Gamers community on Facebook or go to thefamilygamers.com slash community. Of course, you can always email us, Andrew at thefamilygamers.com. Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. We are doing a special promo on our merch site this last week before Christmas, actually all the way through the end of the year. If you head over to thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch, you can see our play games with your kids, our A Balanced Life merchandise, our Family Gamers merchandise, hoodies, t-shirts. We've got leggings with just meeples on them, which look kind of cool. They don't even say the Family Gamers anywhere. There's all sorts of cool stuff on that site. There's some great mugs. Did I not mention the mugs? I, I don't I think mentioned you did. The mugs. Oh. Anyway, all of it is available at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. And until the end of the year, if you use the promo code GIFTS, G-I-F-T-S, you will get 10% off on absolutely everything. Please don't forget to subscribe to the Family Gamers Podcast. Tell your friends about the show and leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or whatever your podcast subscription source is so people that aren't your friends can know about the show. You can also find us on Amazon Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, and really wherever fine podcasts are sold. The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers and learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. All right. Thanks again so much to the team at First Move Financial. So Anitra has been a trooper. She has made it through this episode. She is sick as a dog. Are dogs sick? I don't know. I don't know. Anitra is sick. We're going to let her get some rest. So until next week, everybody, play games with your kids. kids.